Welcome to the Forest Fancast. No, these are not the dulcet tones of Corey. I'd have to be several octaves lower and a lot hairier in order to be able to pull that off. This is Mark again, a bit abandoned by my two usual teammates uh, on this podcast, but we have been saved by the glorious man that is Daniel White. Dan, how you doing, mate? I'm very well. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Uh, good to be back. Are you kidding me? Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for saving us at the 11th hour. Otherwise, it's me talking to myself, which happens a lot. I just would rather it not happen on mic where people can hear me publicly. Well, I'm trying to jump in every so often and I've got some good stats for you today. I've had a, you gave me a heads up. So I've been spending a bit of time doing some stat attacking. Um, so you can, you can decide again at the end whether it was a good, good idea having me on. Let's see. Dan, we're going to just uh, dive headlong into it as it is just you and I, and uh, there's no contractual obligation for us to cover what the forest, which is a Corey thing. Uh, we're just going to instead... Uh, like I said, dive headlong into Forest's last two games. We'll also spend a, t- a little bit of time looking at the league table as well and seeing what those last two games meant to us and what Forest might expect in the run-in. We'll hone in then on the, the next couple of games and talk about our predictions. And uh, that should be all she wrote. So, off to the races. First match, Forest's home game against Fulham. A match that I predicted Forest would win, Dan. Where did you stand on the predictions for that one before a ball was kicked? Oh, that, that's a stat I didn't have, actually. I can't remember what I had down for this. But um, I did think that they were probably one of the toughest teams we played first time around. Or as much as we, we gave them a hiding, well, not a hiding, we, we, we beat them away from home mm-hmm. um, with one of what's probably our best goal of the season, the, the team goal. Uh, yeah, and then as, another, yeah, another good finish from Grabham for the second. Um, so I thought um, it would be tough because we were hanging on in that one and they looked good attacking. But I, they seem to have learned a lesson since then, which is how to, how to get jobs done, similar to what we, we have been doing on a regular basis. So I wouldn't go as far as saying uh, we got shit housed, but at the same time, I think um, they've, uh, they had a bit of naivety early on in the season and that's definitely disappeared at this point. So um, yeah, fair play to them on that one. So let's hone in on the Forest-Fulham game. Uh, we mentioned back at the city ground, and you've already alluded to the fact that Fulham were able to get the one goal and then hold on. Uh, so unfortunately, another of my duff predictions. I really hope no listeners are listening to anything I say this season. I may be a decent host, but clearly my football knowledge is limited, uh, despite the fact I've been watching the game for the last 40 years. Anyway, Forest did go down by a goal to nil. Uh, goal right before half time from Harry Arter, excuse me, Harry Arter. Um, a goal that was preceded by a handball, I, I think, clear for all the world to see. Nonetheless, the goal stood, and you've got to give Arter props. He did hit it well. So those are our broad strokes, Dan. What are your uh, general thoughts on the game? And then uh, let's dive into our good, bad, and ugly. Why don't you lead us off with a good, if you can find one? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of an odd one because, um, you know, I'm saying this having lost the game, but um, to say how good they've been and how much attacking flair they have in the league and what they've done to some of the teams, um, bar that chance, and, you know, you can, I'm, I'm not too bitter about the handball, that's one of those things, but bar the chance, they came out of nothing that no one was really expecting outside the ball. We, we kept them at arm's length. I think I'm right in saying that was their only shot on target. Um, and admittedly, the second half, they didn't need to put any shots on target. So, um, But for 45, the first 45 minutes, we had a few opportunities. We had a bit of possession um, and we weren't completely overrun by them. Um, so that might seem a, a bit of a kind of pessimistic good in a way. But I, I think definitely it's, um, it's a sign that if we were to get them in the playoffs in one way or another, then we're not being completely outclassed at this point And maybe we'd learn something from that game. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. In terms of my good, I, I was... I actually would agree with your sentiments, just generally speaking, but I was kind of reaching for anything more specific. I will say, and I do like to say this with you being on the pod in particular, I think Ben Watson was my good. I think he was a high point. And I think when we hit the restart, he had an awful first game back. In fact, I went so far as to say, I don't remember him having a worse game in a Forest shirt. And we all know fans have short memories. So it's very possible he has had one in recent times. But uh, the first game back was a shocker. And I suggested after our first pod, you know, he's the kind of player that he, we can afford for him to have one or two duff games. You know, we can't really afford for uh, Samba to have that or for Graben to have that. They need to hit the ground running. But a player like Ben Watson, we can give him a game or two to get his feet. And that's exactly what he's done. I think in the last couple of games, he has played really well. And I think he was... Uh, a standout in a midfield that, as Jordan's mentioned uh, in the last couple of pods, is starting to look really solid. Not much in the way of flair and creativity, but certainly uh, gelling together and looking difficult to to battle and beat. And I thought Watson was the highlight, uh, or the standout, I should say, in that midfield trio on this particular occasion. What do you have for a bad, my friend? Um, yeah, I'll move, I'll move on to that. But no, I, 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 you, you ask what you want to say about Watson, don't you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> apart apart from the fact that he was implicated in Harry Arthur getting that shot away, which I uh, <laughs> oh, he couldn't um, let it go. But no, um, I was going to say I actually text a few people on the on the one of the various WhatsApp groups over here that when we're listening, you know, watching individually and not at bars, and, and we're chatting about it. He actually in that game he put a couple of killer through balls in um, that nothing came of eventually. Uh, and that's almost the more frustrating thing for me because he does play heavily defensive. He gets the ball, he plays a short pass quite a bit. When he does try and spray it a bit like Dawson does on a more regular basis, more times than not, it works out. And that, I just wish he'll probably do it more. And then I might I might feel a bit more comfortable about us playing essentially seven defensive players. Um, but yeah, so no, no, I think he did have a good game um, and he has looked good. I just feel uncomfortable with the amount of defensive midfielders we're playing at once and uh, but yeah, no. So that was um, that was definitely a highlight. Um, bad. Here's one for you. Um, so Lolly was, you know, struggling through that game, and obviously he he uh, didn't make it through, and then obviously he didn't play the following week. Um, this is where I started pulling some stats out, which were were pretty spectacular. But I'll save some of those for later. Um, when he's not fit, we don't have an alternative goal threat to Graben, and that might sound kind of a one-dimensional comment because, you know, Graben gets, it's got 20 goals, Lolly's got 10 goals, and then it tails off pretty much from there. But what I mean by that is we're playing with this front three. So traditionally it's been Graben, Amiobi one side and Lolly the other, and they swap mm-hmm. around. The defence kind of know what's coming, but when Lolly gets the ball, they don't know whether he's going to try and put a ball in the box, try and assist Graben, switch it to Amiobi, or turn on on his left and ping it in the, 
in the bottom corner off the post as he does more times than not and, and against Derby. When he's not on there, they pretty much know that no one in that team is scoring a goal directly. And therefore, they double up on Graben, they let the crossers come in, they put the big men up, and we haven't really got a threat. And that, that's my only worry, which is I do feel that Lolly as a player directly, without him, it's we're going to miss him. But also the impact and the confidence it gives opposition defences to just say, keep grabbing quiet, put two on him, and nothing else is coming at this. Um, so that's that was the bad. Funny thing is, I thought about that, and then I thought, well... I'll just dig into this because I don't want to say something that's, you know, statistically then picked apart as an opinion. Um, turns out Amiobi has as many shots on target as uh, Lolly does. <laughs> so maybe I'm wrong, but he just doesn't get them in the corners, right? So um, they're all having about the same amount of shots per amount of time they're on the field. And give or take, grabbing Lolly and Amiobi are hitting the target 40 to 45% of the time. So obviously grabbing and Lolly are just putting them in more difficult places. But um, I think Amiobi is probably getting a bit of a, a raw deal with, with some supporters about his accuracy with the shooting. Um, but, you know, yeah, yourself included. Um, yeah, yeah. But, um, and he's not scoring, right? He scored three to Lolly's 10. So the proof is in the pudding. But um, I just don't think defences are as worried about him. Um, and and therefore the bad for me is when Lolly goes off, I, I we struggle. We really struggle because it, it it stifles grabbing at the same time. Yeah, I think that's a great observation. I have a couple of things to spin off of that. Well, first thing I need to say is I, I started this podcast by saying off saying I was a half decent host. I'm an awful host because I've got to do the team lineups, but <laughs> the team lineups have a bit uh, very little change in them, and we've name checked several of the players already and the defense was as you were uh so uh yeah i think folks can folks who didn't see the game can cobble together the starting 11 from that um but if you haven't seen the game we're not going to help you much to be honest you this is a benefit to you i'm not going to encourage you to go back and watch it either it's funny as well because you were saying oh you know this is going to sound like a, um, a stupid thing to say um that kind of reminded me of something ben watson said after grabbing got his 20th goal of the season against Preston in the second game we're going, to, we're going to cover here in a moment where he was quoted as saying, he's a goal scorer. That's what he does. <laughs> like, thank you, Ben. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> um, but no, it's, you, you raise an interesting point and we talked in the last pod about the fact that increasingly we have options out wide. The center of the park seems to be solidifying and, we, and we're definitely workmanlike and we're doing a better job of both winning the ball back and maintaining possession, not much in the way of flair through the center of the park, but our wide options seem to be increasing in that the cost is now stepping up. You mentioned, obviously, we have Amiobi and Lolly out there. Uh, No, I can't even finish the word. Um, (laughs) No, one thing I have noticed since the restart is even though there's a lot of industry from the likes of Cash and Ribeiro, you're not seeing much in terms of final product. And we saw that earlier in the season, right? We talked about how, and in fact, you defended Lolly earlier in the season when some fans were kind of laying into him a little bit saying, oh, you know, he's not as good as he was last year. And we're not seeing as much in terms of the, the stats. And you said, yeah, I know, but he's a marked man. And also him taking players with him is creating that channel for Cash to then exploit, which he was doing earlier in the season. Again, even though Cash and Oliveira are, are, are absolutely running themselves into the ground right now, there isn't much end product offensively and so we just do look a little stifled all the way around and you're right all roads lead to grabbing it would seem if he doesn't score we're really struggling beyond that yeah and if you put if you do the old as they say over here the x's and o's um 
you've got a combination of whoever it may be in the middle, Silver, Yates, Watson, mm. who are, yeah, as much as either Silver or Yates has been more attacking, neither of them is the second man in the box. Not only, so you're going to have four players out of our front five, if you like, if you split it that way. Um, so you've got Sal and Watson who are sitting. So you've basically got four attacking players. And then you've got the two, as you might, you may call them wingbacks, I guess, by the way that they play. But you've got Ribeiro, Amiobi, Lolly, and Cash. All of those four are charged with getting balls in the box. So that leaves Graben, the man who is in the box receiving those balls. The only time a second ball is dropping, it's not dropping to Yates because he's not far enough forward. It seldom drops to Silver like it did against Cardiff and he banged one in there. Um, the second ball is dropping to Lolly. Say so he did it against Stoke. He's done it a number of times. So if he's not there... Yeah, you might still get the balls into the box from Cash and Amiobi. There's no goal threat. There's no goal threat. Graben has to be scoring 100% of the opportunities he has. And being the, going back to the geeky stats again, he has a shot on target where he has like three shots on target every two games. And his conversion rate is about 40 to 50%, right? Mm-hmm. So we know he scores one every two games, something like that. If he's your only goal scorer, you're only scoring one every two games and you're not winning doing that. So... Um, yeah, with, with Lolly out, you do need a winger that can put it in the box, but can also be your number 10, essentially the second ball winner and the poacher. Um, I don't think Carvalho is that player. I don't think he plays wide and he's, he's a creator, but he's not a finisher. And the only rev lie, and we'll talk about it from the Preston game, is I think Nuno de Costa might be that answer um, where he can get a shot on target. He can win a penalty. He can get a shot, uh, but he also can provide for others as well. And you need you need some variability. You need some ambiguity for opposition defences. Um, if you're one-dimensional, you'll get find, found out. And if Graben will score every other game, but you need someone else to support him. I think those are some great observations. And I think what is most telling, Dan, is the players that you didn't mention rather than those you did. You didn't talk about Tyler Walker. You didn't talk about Alex Mighton. Because even though, <laughs> you know, whichever players don't play are always a solution on Twitter, right? After a game. But I don't think either of those young men are the solution necessarily. I think they're they're good options to bring off the bench. But if you're looking, but I think you're right. I think the issue isn't who replaces Graben. The issue is who supports Graben. And I'm not sure that either of those, those two players are that player. And it's interesting as well, the observation you make about Yates and about how he's not crashing the box. If you remember when he burst onto the scene, um, that was exactly what he did, right? He, he, Forest fans were so excited because he was popping up every other game and, and, and scoring goals and helping contribute to the offense. And, that was exciting because we hadn't had that in a while. And he, he's obviously being asked to do a different job right now. But in the absence of that, and I've been saying this all season, you know, where's the thrust from midfield? Uh, and to use your terminology, Dan, where's that second man? So we're certainly struggling in terms of goal scoring. And so when we went a goal down against Fulham, yeah, I was, I was worried. <laughs> I was yeah. worried. I was worried. So let's come to our ugly. What do you have as an ugly? Oh, did um, I didn't do okay. a bad. I didn't do a bad. Uh, did we did a lot of bad, but add you more, what? please. Yeah, pick some bad out of there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't want to be. The, I'll pick you back, Dan's bad. Okay, ugly. Yeah, I didn't want to be too pessimistic on that, but no, it's um. And, and in fairness, as well, I, I didn't comment on the last. You know, I wasn't involved in the last pod, but for the Huddersfield game, Yates did crash the box, right? So, um, he does it, but the problem is when he's being asked to do a different job every week. I don't think you get into a realm of consistency where Absolutely. you know where you're supposed to be. And he did it. Yeah, he's done it plenty of times. But again, yeah. Um. So yeah, my ugly. Um. I don't think. Based on what I've just said for the bads, the answer to trying to come back from a goal behind is throwing more wingers on. 
um, because you're still getting good <laughs> balls into the box. You need you need people who can finish. Yeah. So I feel we've got to have the ability to go to up top or to be more offensive, still get the balls in, but have more people available on the other end. And part of that ugly, or a large part of it, was Dear Carby. And specifically, although I don't want to come down too hard on him because he did have a couple of runs that looked good, that first touch, that first touch that was out on Twitter was pretty much summed up. That was his Salenzi moment. That was his you're not going to play him very, you know, beyond the end of this season. Because once you've got a showreel like that, you become, your joke becomes bigger than your promise, I think. So I um, feel sorry for the guy, but I think that signaled the beginning of the end, if the, if the beginning ever finished. <laughs> yeah, it was that touch with the equivalent of Salenzi's nose or Jason Lee's hair, wasn't it? Once the fans have something to latch onto as being the, the, the center point uh, of mockery. Yeah, I, I, the best the best example I saw on Twitter was somebody referring to it as when you're playing FIFA and you touch that um, accelerate button or the kick button really really hard and too early, so the minute it touches your player, it just pings away thirty yards. That was exactly sensible, what happened. The sensible soccer world from twenty odd thirty oh, years ago, where you'll turn the turn the corner, but the ball would just carry on going in the same direction. <laughs> yes, it was pretty phenomenal. It um, was. And what was sad about that was I could see what he was trying to do. He was trying to get the jump on his defender and use the pace he had. He was trying to create a foot race. And it was a good idea, but no execution. And that, for us so far, at least has been Dear Carby in a nutshell. Uh, no execution in a red shirt, unfortunately. Um, you know, we've been skirting around the issue a little bit. And I do want to actually hone in on it. I didn't mention this in the intro, but it is, I think, worth a minute or two of our time. What do you do with a problem like Carvalho? So there's been a lot of consternation on social media about why Dear Carby's getting minutes um, or anyone who's coming off the bench is getting minutes ahead of the, the golden one. There's no doubt that Carvo is very, very technically talented and does have some of the flair that we enjoy seeing. And I think it's one of the things that's, that's warming uh, us to DaCosta is the fact we're seeing a little bit of that flair. I think it's one of the things that, that mean that Forest fans will put up with Amiobi and some of his he is duff shots and, and maybe lack of end product is the fact that he is a creative sort. And so I don't know if the legend of Carvo is growing because he's on the bench and not on the field and people are just constantly looking at his showreel, but what do we think? Does he need more time? I mean, I think we understand why he's not on the field, right, Dan? I think he just doesn't fit the formation or the approach that Sabri has in mind to get us over the line this season. But do you think he... He should be. I suppose that's the first question. You think there should be some way to accommodate him, even if it's late on in the game? And if Sabri doesn't, do you think we've seen the last of him? Yeah, it's, it's a real odd one because depending on who you listen to, and um, you know, there's people on Twitter that I, I trust slightly more than others, but there's two bits to this. There's the, the exact point you mentioned, which is, and I agree with, I don't know how you fit him in. Uh, and, and one of the retorts to that is, well, he's 13 million quid and he's a good footballer. He should fit into whatever we ask him to do. But at the same time, Lamucci is very much a... Um, a dis, you know, a kind of disciplined guy when it comes to roles and what he's being asking people to do, and I, I don't know where you put him. You don't, you don't put him on one of the wings. You don't replace Graben with him, so that's your front three gone. So once you've got those front three gone, and you know you're going to play Watson, Sal, Yates, Silver, any two or three of those guys, the only way you put him in there is if you're admitting that you're going to be less defensive because mm-hmm. he's not a counter-attacking player. He's a possession football player. You drop him into Brentford, you drop him into Fulham, you drop him into Leeds. And he does a job. You play the Forest way of winning the ball. I think um, Alex Neal said it after the Preston game. 
forest take balls off you that you play square on the edge of the forest box and they break. He's not got pace. He's not wide. He doesn't have a powerful shot on him. So he may be a 30 million quid footballer. I've come to the end of the game. Uh, I think the only way, well, you either have to bring on a second striker, Tyler Walker, Alex Might, and someone like that, and hope that that just gives you a bit more possession in the opposition box. Or you have to admit that by saying you want Carvalho to play, you're not comfortable with what Sabri Lamucci is doing as a style of football. Uh, and that's, that's valid, right? But I don't, I don't get this thing before every game when people go, why is Carvalho not in the team? Well, we know why he's not in the team. There's no place for him. <laughs> that's, for me, it's as simple as that. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think at this point, if we're going to stick, assuming Sabri is playing the way he wants to play rather than the way that he thinks the squad is set up for, then I don't see why we would, um, we would keep hold of him. And I'd much prefer his cash in with Olympiacos, knowing that we'll get a price that's reasonable. Uh, and go and get the people that have been mooted in terms of second strikers or people that can create a bit more like Lolly can finish product, both shot and assist. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I'm a little on the fence in this one, but just because I like the player, I like the player in and of himself, but there's other teams you mentioned, you know, they have a player like Carvo and those players are flourishing, but they're flourishing in a different system. And I think that's part of the Forest fans' frustration as they see those teams being more creative and those creative players delivering. And they're like, well, we, we have that. We should be doing that. Um, and I'm certainly not going to teach English football fans to suck eggs. And even some of our American brethren know the game very well indeed. But I also know we have listeners who are very new to the game or new to following Forrest who might not really get what we're saying and, and be of a mind that, hey, he's a great footballer. He needs to be on the field. When you put him in that number 10 role, when you tuck him in behind Grabham, you are fundamentally not only changing the shape of the middle of the park, you're also changing where the spaces are. And what you're going to have, to Dan's point, is you're going to have a player who who gets caught in the attacking third and spends too much time there exposing the two central midfielders who, if they're playing against, particularly if they're playing against a team with three central midfielders, are going to get played around. And it's just going to put a lot more pressure on the defense. And Sabri has decided to err on the side of caution to make us more difficult to break down and to have more bodies behind the ball when we lose possession. So he wants players to recover when we lose possession. If you're the wrong side of the ball, you need to get back. But he would rather have players, the, the defensive side of the ball, when we lose possession already, right? So it makes it, it makes the proposition of a counter-attack already that much more daunting for a team when they do get the ball off us, whether it's in their defensive third or in the middle of the field. So I'm not saying Sabri's right or wrong. I would like to see us be a bit more creative. I would like to see us be a bit more offensive. But I also want to see us back in the Premier League. And if this is what it takes to get us there, then I guess if, if the sacrifice is losing a player like Carvo, then it is what it is, right? Yeah, now all, all roads lead back to Ben Watson. If we had, if we spent money, and I'm not saying that you know Ben Watson is no good, but I'm saying if we spent money in the summer on a Ben Watson replacement who was genuinely more mobile and young, capable of doing what Watson's doing in terms of reading the game, but better um, at moving around and getting back, <laughs> for one of a better phrase, um, I think you can play Carvalho in Silva's position. I do think we limit ourselves by the fact that we are playing exactly players right. who are all one-dimensional yeah. and they all do the job they are asked to do. Yeah. But I do think when we play Sal and Watson, both of them are good football players and Sal has been excellent. They aren't mobile. They get caught 
if they do go forward, they get caught out and therefore they are rooted. And therefore you can't have a luxury player like Car- Carvalho. You could still have him in this system, I think, if you change to else you were playing. And we don't have that luxury of picking players better than Watson and Sal at the moment um, to allow us to do that. So with what we've got, I totally agree. Um, you go with what you've got now. Do we keep him in the summer? I think it depends who else we bring in in midfield and who else mm. stays. Um, because ultimately I think he could do well and he's probably better suited to the Premier League or a team that's more dominant in the championship. Because we've seen when we were a couple up at QPR, um, I can't remember if they'd already had the player sent off. They probably had. Um, but when he's got the space, uh, he ran through that. You know, he terrorised QPR at the end of that game. Um, so he's capable of that. But that was a given scenario against a lesser team who were already a couple of goals down, uh, who knew they weren't coming back into the game. And he adds a third or a fourth. He's yeah. not a player that's getting you an equaliser against Fulham. Obviously, you know, there's, it's, it's a team, right? They're, the pieces need to fit together and, and the strategy needs to make sense. So bigger picture stuff and we could do a whole podcast on that and maybe we will at the end of the year. Certainly if Forrest don't make it back to the Premier League, we'll blame uh, Sabri, we'll say his, his uh, strategy was completely flawed and then we'll spend three hours uh, taking it apart um, because that's what football fans do down the pub. All right, my ugly. We're going to go on to this one very quickly and get on to the next game. I think Harry Arta is the modern day Robbie Savage just runs around kicking people and, and then uh, arguing with the referee saying, you know, that's his innocence when in fact he's just been a complete douche and then pops up and uh, sticks you to the sword either with a, uh, an assist or with a game winning goal. And uh, yeah, watching Arta going to work uh, against Forrest, it just, um, I got flashbacks, very, very ugly flashbacks. Uh, the Robbie Savage, yeah. Savage years, particularly during his time at Derby. So anyway. With more talent than Robbie Savage. I oh, more say. talent. I mean, it's not saying much, but kept from uh. the same cloth, I think. Forrest go down 1-0, which puts, I think put pressure on us down for the next game against Preston. Away at Preston, some place that we really never done that well. It's never been a happy hunting ground for us. I can't remember the last. You're the stat man, actually, and I haven't looked at these stats. I can't remember um, the last. Don't ask me this. Oh, when, no. At Deepdale. Um, God, yes. that's a thousand years ago. Yeah, it must, it must be a while back. Preston is a difficult place to go and come away, certainly come away with a win, but to come away with anything is challenging. Uh, this Preston team is, I think they are the definition of industrial. I think if you look at the word industrial in the dictionary, you see their team photo. And I think there they are the perfect manifestation of their manager. When we talk about the, the type of Nottingham Forest that Sabri is trying to create, what he thinks the team need to be doing in order to get back to the promised land, and you talk about the team being an extension of Sabri. I think in uh, Alex Neal, Preston, <laughs> yeah, Preston are the embodiment of him and his approach to the game. Broad strokes, it was uh, it was a tasty game. It was it was uh, old fashioned. Let's put it that way. Lots of crunching tackles and uh, not much in the way of. Um, again, we keep using this word flair uh, and the spectacular. Forrest took the lead though. Early doors, a penalty from Lewis Graben created from an opportunity from uh, De Costa. Forrest, unfortunately, didn't hold the lead for very long. Uh, Stockley popping up in the 15th minute. Nice finish. A bit frustrating that Forrest weren't able to hold on to that lead a little longer. Um, the game was odd in that it really seemed to ebb and flow. Uh, generally speaking, no one team is ever dominant for 90 minutes or even, you know, for 75 or 80 minutes. Generally speaking, games ebb and flow. There's, there's, there's uh, shared momentum. 
But there really seemed to be very distinct periods of this game where Forest were undoubtedly on top to the point where Preston North End almost seemed to relinquish like any attempts to kind of attack. It was like, okay, we're going to spend the next 10 minutes trying to stem this tide, you know, stem this red wave. And then it was almost like a bell rang and uh, Preston were like, okay, our turn. And Forrest, all right, go on, there you go. And they kind of backed off and let Preston do, do, do their thing. Um, so very kind of odd rhythm to the game. Uh, ultimately, the game ended up 1-1. Both teams had chances to get it done and take all three points, but wasn't to be. So, Dan, what were your observations? And do you want to lead us out with your good? Yeah, so you mentioned it. Um, I won't elaborate too much, but Nuno da Costa uh, starting to get some game time. Um, looked dangerous, won the penalty. Um, I think just- Was it a penalty? Uh, yeah. So the only angle that I saw that is one of those where I was like, yeah, if that was another team, I'd probably be annoyed with that. But there's an angle that you see from behind their goal. Um, that it was a clear shove. Um, so I, it's always difficult with those ones where someone checks back because it looks like you're always looking for it. But I think it was a penalty. Um, but he, he, he just looks good. I think he's potentially um, that player that we need to support Graben either as one of the wingers or sitting behind if we're going to go a bit more attacking later in games. Um, I feel more confident when he's on the ball that something might come of it than any of those substitutes that we've talked about. Um, so I think he's up there challenging Lolly and Amiobi for, for a starting spot, um, depending on, on the day of the week. Um, and the only other thing I'll add in terms of a, a uh, good is we didn't concede a goal in the last... Well, in injury time for the first either time. half. Well, either yeah, half. <laughs> yes. Um, so that was good because I was I, I had to turn it off. Honestly, I couldn't watch the last five minutes. Um, so I don't know how I'm going to cope with any potential playoff games again. But no, uh, Nuno Costa definitely worth um, some game time, and I think generally a few of the players who came in stepped up, which was nice to see. So that's a lovely segue because that goes into my good. So anyone listening to this who <clears throat> heard me saying, oh gosh, I'm an awful host. I forgot to do the team sheet. Uh, and then are picking me up on the fact I didn't do the team sheet again for this game. Well, I didn't do the team sheet on purpose because the team sheet is actually my good. Before I come on to that though, DeCosta reminds me, he, he's a chaos agent. He's one of those forest players like Amiobi or like back in the day, Jean-Claude Darcheville, who they're not, amazing they're not the finished article in fact i was talking with someone on twitter during the game who said oh wow if DeCosta just had a bit more composure he'd just be you know absolute world-class player and i said yeah DeCosta had that kind of composure he wouldn't be playing for us oh. which you know I, the person came back to me and said fair point um, but but to me he's a chaos agent he's one of those players you throw on or you know as he did in this game he can go from the start i'm just never quite sure what he's going to do and he doesn't execute everything he's attempting to do Ergo, the penalty. I don't quite know what he was trying to do there, but evidently there was enough contact to win a penalty. But it's good to have those kind of players out there who can cause a little chaos and create things, even if it is just winning uh, a penalty or you know dead ball situations uh, in dangerous spots around the box. Uh, so my good is the the lineup. So there were some significant changes. Samba kept his place in goal, of course. Jenkinson came in at right back for Cash. Uh, Worrell Dawson came in for Figueredo. Riviero, uh, left back in his usual spot. Watson, so and Yates as the midfield trio with uh, Graben in his usual centre-forward position. Amiobi and the aforementioned Da Costa coming in for the injured Lolly. A lot of talk on Twitter pre-game, Dan, about what were four changes to the starting lineup, And most of the talk was people griping. 
were saying, why are we doing this? And other teams aren't resting their players and this doesn't make any sense. And what, what's your take on that? What was your, cause for me, it was a good, for me, I felt like there are players there that can do with a breather. There are players there who are clearly playing with existing injuries. And I think, um, we, you know, we talked all season long about how we have decent depth in the squad up to about 16, 17. Beyond that, it starts to get really sketchy. But the players that started, I there's nobody there who I look at and go, oh my gosh, they're going to be the Achilles heel. Jenkinson had a little bit of a rocky start, but then I think acquitted himself pretty well. Um, but nobody else on that team sheet makes me overly nervous. What was your take? Yes. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, I think, because we have a. You always know a team is doing pretty well when they have a stable eleven. If you think back through as long as you've followed Forest, um, which is slightly longer than I have, but the years where we did well, I can probably say 1995, and either of us could name the starting eleven pretty much, um, <laughs> right. because you don't need to make changes because you're winning games, right? The issue with that is, regardless of how strong your squad is on paper, and take the back four, regardless of whether Dawson and Jenkinson are legitimately as good a defenders statistically and everything else as the four that played, they haven't played. And you can't expect them to come in and just pick up where they left off. And I think that's the issue. When you've got such a stable first 11, it makes your squad look weak because when they do come in, there is added pressure. And there is also the fact that they haven't played week in, week out with those players. So Cash and Lolly have been playing all season together, right? They know what each other are going to do. They can do it with their eyes closed in terms of overlap, everything else. You suddenly put Jenkinson on with DaCosta. Those guys have never played 90 minutes together. So I don't think you can expect it to gel immediately. But if you don't give these people time, why have you got them? You might as well just have poorly paid reserve youth team players in there just to fill the numbers up if you've got no intent of starting them. So I think you've got to give them game time. And I'm honestly hoping if we do get to a position where we're safe by the end of the season, um, I wouldn't want to see wholesale changes, but I'd certainly want to see at least a couple of those guys get a bit more time because you don't want them having coming on in a second half when Cash gets injured and Jenkinson having to be the guy that's holding us out in a second leg versus Fulham uh, without having played for three weeks. So, um, yeah, I think it was the right thing to do. Um, I'm happy with the point. I don't think we would have got any more from the game with those players playing, given how tired they looked previously. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think, as you say, there's a point at which certain people you can throw in. If we'd have put Dia Carby and a few others in there, I might have questioned really whether it was worth doing but um yeah with those with those guys i think they are genuinely good footballers you don't you don't play for arsenal and spurs and teams like that through your career if you if you've not got something about you what's your bad my friend um my bad what is my bad um it's it's along the same lines which is i don't feel comfortable with our attacking depth um so lolly's injured you're starting with the costa and amiobi uh, we can't play a doma uh, Mighton, you know, he's he's a great player, as is Tyler Walker, but they're really replacements for Graben, and they've been used as that. Um, so who do you bring on when you need a goal? We're lucky that we went up one at Preston, but I just don't know in that situation who you bring on. Samedo's not a, not a kind of player that's going to get you goals, uh, and it just worries me that as you get to the playoffs and you're suddenly in one of those, like, win-or-die situations you're going to get you're going to get Dakarby, uh, De Carby and Alex Mighton coming on with 10 minutes left and at that point you you might as well switch off and yeah. that might sound harsh but we're not going to go and uh, do one over on Fulham with 10 minutes left with our, our bench yeah I mean another way to look at this is I know we're getting 
nervous and I know there's a lot of anxiety on, on social media and, um, you know, vitriol in some cases, people really getting pissed off with Sabri and his approach and, and certain players. But Jordan, I think, did a really good job of kind of summarizing this in the last pod. This is the best we can hope for with what we have. And I think he's absolutely nailed on. I think if you look at this team, you look at the capability of this team, that isn't to say you couldn't get more out of it. That isn't to say another formation mightn't be better or other personnel might be more effective. We can have that discussion all day long. But we have a good manager here who clearly understands the game. And he's getting, I think, pretty much everything he can out of the players he's picking. Yes, we have shortcomings, like you mentioned, Dan, in terms of offensive selection. But to consider that we're in fifth place in this division and I'm going to touch wood as I say this, <laughs> only needing one win really out of the last three matches to secure our playoff place. Um, yeah, it's difficult to be too churlish about that. Could, you know, do we wish we had more? Do we wish we had a, another Lewis Graben to bring off the bench to rest the other Lewis Graben? Yeah, it'd be fantastic. But, you know, we, we're grasping at straws a little bit when I'm asking you to come up with a bad and, you know, we, we know our offensive shortcomings, but there's no getting away from them. But I think it's it's kind of remarkable where we are really still. And, and just so I don't get trashed on Twitter for being negative, I knew I was going to have to do a bad, so I wrote it down <laughs> in this book, book just here. So if, if, if you think it came to my mind quite quickly, it took it took me about an hour to, uh, to really think of something. But no, I, I, I thought the Preston game was good. And I, I know I think there's a, this feeling that people are thinking, oh, well, we're just trying to limp across the line and, oh, we only need this, so let's go and get a draw. But Ben Watson said after the game, you know, he said, well, we're happy with the draw. And they said, well, did you set up for a draw? He's like, no, no, we, set up. we always try and win the game. Mm. But having finished the game, we'll take the point. Yeah, we'll take the point and we'll go home and we'll try and get three points next time. But uh, harking back to Billy Davis' uh, years, apart from the Fulham game, uh, since the break, we're winning our home games and drawing our away, our away games. Two points on average every game, winning your home games, that's promotion form. So um, there'll be the odd slip here and there. And um, I think, yeah, we're doing the best we can with a, a you know, a... a I don't want to say a bad lot because I don't mean that, but in terms of investment and everything else, we've got what we've got. got. Yeah, and we're getting a lot out of them, or Sabri is. Um, and if you get rid of a couple of those horrendous days at Mill, uh, against Millwall and Sheffield Wednesday where we got hammered, um, you know, you're not in a bad position, which actually, um, to, to ramble on that one, Ben Watson also made another good point, um, which was he didn't say explicitly about Millwall and Sheffield Wednesday, but there are a few teams in this division that play direct football. And when we've played against them in the past, we've been hammered Mm -hmm. teams that put the ball into the box and either win the first challenge or the ball drops for a second one. And you get Matt Smith hitting a hat trick, Jordan Rhodes hitting a hat trick, big physical center forwards dominating us at the back. Preston are that team and we've not lost to them away from home. So for me, that's uh, that probably fits in the good box, but yeah, it's uh, it's certainly an improvement in that sense. Yeah, and so my bad really just jumps off of yours. And so I'm not going to elaborate too much other than to say our offensive shortcomings. And, you know, the fact we haven't gotten very many shots on target, even with our inverted commas starting attacking three. Obviously, Lolly would ordinarily be one of those, but in terms of next best and recognizing that Acosta probably was their best offensive player on the day, you know, we it would have been nice to have seen more out of those front three. It would have been nice to be able to provide more for that front three to actually live off. Uh, In terms of ugly, and this is going to be a quick one too because you've already just touched upon it, and that is the way that Preston play. 
Uh, I think it made for a really disjointed game. I think it, and I talked earlier about how the game, you know, it had kind of a weird ebb and flow to it. But I think that was probably Forrest having to kind of button down the hatches and deal with a barrage that was pressed. And then once they got their kind of heads and hands around that, we're able then to get the ball down and start playing. And then that's when Forrest were able to occupy the game for a period of time. And then, you know, Preston would try and find a way to break that rhythm and it comes the airborne attack again. So it made for uh, an ugly, disjointed kind of a match. But I think that's because that's Preston's style and it's not very attractive. So we can talk about our shortcomings all day long. At least we try to play football. Yeah, and a counter-attacking football is actually pretty attractive to watch. If you go mm-hmm. back through showreels about goals and things like that, we, when we get the ball, we play attractive football. And I think that's the difference. I think some opposition fans of teams like Brentford and Fulham put us into a category that just shows that they're, they're ill-educated as to what we're doing. Right, we're, we're soaking up pressure. We're not playing possession football. But when we get the ball for the 30% of the games we have it, we're playing f- football that's good enough to beat teams. Um, so there's no lumping it into the box. There's no putting Matt Smith on up front and hoping that he dro- the ball drops down for some for some scrow off the ball to stab it in or something. It's all <laughs> it's all um, it's all good football. And I, I, to be honest, I had my ugly down as just the word Preston. That's how they play. Um, but on the plus side, if they don't make it into the playoffs, the teams that are in the playoffs, the are possession football teams. Cardiff, maybe you can argue, uh, is one way or another on that. But I've watched the last couple of their games, and they they play possession football under Neil Harris. You know, they they play slightly different possession football. But I fancy our chances against the teams that play attractive football because they make mistakes, and when they make mistakes, we're we're on it at the moment, which is nice to see. So let's just transition then to looking at the table very quickly. I said we might spend some time talking about playoffs as well, but you know what? I'm going to hold that over for the next pod because uh, that will give us a couple more games and we'll have perhaps a clearer picture of things and we can maybe start making some predictions about who the final top six would be. So for right now, instead, let's just look at the table as it stands. Leeds, of course, at the top of the table, 84 points. West Brom with 81 in second. Brentford on an incredible tear right now. Six straight victories, 78 points in third. Fulham, 76 points in fourth. Forest with 69 points in fifth. Cardiff, 64 points. So a nice five-point cushion between Forest in fifth and Cardiff in sixth. Swansea just a point outside the playoffs in seventh. And Preston another point behind in eighth uh, alongside Millwall. And we're going to stop looking at the table there. <laughs> Dan, I don't want to go any further. Um, so fifth place uh, with that five-point cushion between ourselves and sixth place and what well, a six-point cushion between ourselves and seventh place. Are you going along with the, the general logic right now that one win from our final three matches will get the job done? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think mathematically uh, it would be a struggle. So I think the thing is, this is years of forest torture that have put us in these kind of positions. <laughs> everyone, everyone online and on Twitter is like, well, if we do this and the other teams do this, then we'll only have to get a point from our last three games and we can, we can afford to lose to Stoke by six or whatever. And it's all very pessimistic for good reason because that's what we've become used to, right? We've had, we've had debacles on the last day and missed out on playoffs. The interesting thing to me is we're kind of being pessimistic by saying, well, let's assume everyone below us wins every game. What do we have to do to get in? And I'll just throw a couple of other stats at you. I just eyeballed these before, before we start recording. Of the five teams above us, from their last collective f- uh, five games each, so 25 matches. Okay. They have 
Um, I think it's 25 of them on maths, right? They have won between them 18, drawn four, and lost three. So the five teams above us are in form. They've Absolutely. lost three games between them in the last five. The five teams below us have won nine, lost nine, and drawn seven. And not a single team in the five below us has pulled points back on us in the last five games. So we've taken eight from our last five games. Millwall have taken eight from our last their last five games. Everyone else below us, Cardiff, Preston, Swansea, Derby, have taken less than eight points. So we have extended our lead in a way over that group. Um, not exactly because some teams have done slightly better than others, but we've extended our lead or we haven't been pulled back. Um, so we, we're looking over our shoulders, but if we were to not get into the playoffs now, not only would it be a complete, um, for want of a better phrase, fuck up on our part um, to not get enough points, we would need the teams below us to do what they haven't done since the break. So if that happens, fair play to them and we have to hold our hands up. But that would be pretty catastrophic at this point. Um, so I, I have to err on the side of the maths and say, and the form and say, we'll get there. Um, and honestly, uh, without getting into the playoff discussion, I don't care whether we finish sixth, fifth, fourth. Um, it's probably going to be fifth or sixth now, but we're going to have to play some of those teams one way or another. So um, I don't really have a preference at this point. Let's get in and let's ideally win the next three. So we go in on form. But we'll, Them's we'll good stats. Them's good stats. You earned your money there, mate. Yeah, they go. Very good. good. Scrawled in handwriting as well. Straight, <laughs> off, the, straight off the BBC. And I have, I have no money to give you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the privilege of predicting the final three matches along with me. Ooh. Because ordinarily, we take the next two. But you know what, Corey and Jordan? You didn't show up. So you shit out of luck. <laughs> right, Here we okay. go. Last three games. So coming up on Wednesday, Forest are back at the city ground. So two of the last three matches are back at the city ground. I don't really know how much of a bearing that has, other than, of course, the travel considerations. Uh, all the teams right now are traveling by road, and that can be, you know, grueling depending on where you're going. But still, Forest are at the set ground on Wednesday, welcoming Swansea City. What are your thoughts on that one, my friend? So, after all that positivity I just said about us, you know, trying to get in, I've gone 1 1. And the reason I've gone 1 1 is nothing to do with the teams who are playing, but because I know we won't make this simple. And I know that there won't be a part of the next three games where it suddenly just goes, ah, oh, we're in now, that's over with. Let's see how well we can do. So I think we'll make this difficult on ourselves to begin with. And we won't lose to Swansea. And we won't put ourselves in a horrible position, but we won't get it over the line and be able to relax. So 1-1 one, one, and I've gone uh, Da Costa to score. Okay, fantastic. Well, that will be good because he's played really well the last couple of games. He hasn't yet. He hasn't opened his account for Forrest yet, has he? No, not that I'm aware okay. of. All right. So that will be really good for him. And you know what? I'm actually going to agree with that. For all the reasons you cited... Uh, we know, well, I was about to say, we know that Forest are going to take us to the agonizing last. I don't think they'll quite take us to the last. And we'll talk about that in just a moment when we talk about the next game. But yeah, I, I think this is a game we could win. We probably should win. Uh, I think there might also be a couple more changes in the starting lineup. But I think all of that will culminate in a 1-1 draw. On Sunday, Forest are away at Barnsley. So... Not exactly a hop, skip and a jump away, but not clear across the other side of the country, at least. But we are playing a team who are currently rooted to the bottom of the table. Barnsley have just 43 points. They're three points away from safety, although with goal difference, realistically, they're four points away from safety. For me, this is one that Forrest get done. This is... 
and I'm, I recognize I do not have a particularly good track record when it comes to predicting games. And given that we haven't always done well against the weaker teams that we should be, and you know, if they are still bottom of the table when we meet them, we'll obviously be favorites to tank them. But um, I just, I'm confident that Forest will get the job done. And I think they'll get it done to the tune of 2-0. We're, we're on the same wavelength today. Yep, I've got 2-0. Um, slightly different reasons, not, not that it matters too much, but uh, with Wigan's 12-point deduction, they're, they're currently, um, if you do, I think if you do the maths, it puts Barnsley two points from safety. Um, Talk or about three, the situation. Sorry, yeah, three. Three, three from points. safety. Yeah, yeah. Um, three from safety, which means mathematically, even if they lose their next game midweek, uh, but if Barnsley lose and the team above win, they will still be five points from safety with two games. So mathematically, they're still in the race when we play them, whichever, whatever pans out. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, I actually fancy us more because I hate playing teams when they're already relegated yeah. and the pressure's off and they play a bit more open. Yeah, you, can, you might tank them every so often, um, but I think Barnsley have all those teams down at the bottom have had it horrendous, right? Luton have started winning a few more. Uh, a few teams are taking a few points uh, here and there. Uh, I think they're under a lot of pressure. I think they'll play under a lot of pressure and they'll play into our hands. They'll try and get goals and they'll get picked off because they don't have the quality. And as long as we get one fairly early and, and get the first goal, I think it will be two. I've gone two nil just because we don't score more than two apart from the, the rare occasion. Um, so yeah, I think we'll win two nil. And as to your point earlier, I think that'll mean that it doesn't go to the last game of the season. Um, and then we'll have a tough choice to make as to whether to rest players for Stoke or take the momentum in on two wins. So just for shits and giggles, as you had DeCosta off the mark in the last game, I'm going to say Mighton scores in this game. Good shout, yeah. Okay, final match of the season, of the regular season. Forrest back at the city ground against Stoke. That manager had, had some interesting things to say in the week, didn't he? About upcoming opposition. Uh, maybe not the wisest statements to be making, but essentially alluding to the fact that Forest and other teams they're going to face aren't as good as Fulham, right? That's the one. Uh, Leeds. Leeds. Uh, is it Fulham or Leeds? Either way, uh, that's, it was the kind of comments that you clip out and you hang on the dressing room wall. I would love to see Forest batter Stoke uh, and finish the season strongly. Do you think they will? Um, so the result, the prediction I've given you so far as much as I stand by them, they're actually the ones that I put on the prediction league. So that made life easy. So I'm going to stick with that again. And I've got it as a three, two win for forest. Um, mm. So I think we'll win. Um, and I think it will just be the last, if, if things are tied up, then you never know people's minds might be elsewhere. The odd defensive mistake. And maybe we won't be as tight at the back as we have been before. Again, maybe like one of those last day games against Bolton, when Bolton scored a few late on to beat us three, two to, to stay up themselves. Uh, I think Stoke will be safe. And I think it might be a bit of a goal fest. Um, so yeah, three, two forest uh, to take us into uh, the playoffs with two winners on the bounce, which would be nice. So I want to say one nil. That's the smart pick. But I'm not going to. It's the last regular game of the season. I think Forest are going to be high on the previous victory. I think Stoke are in, uh, in need of a battering. I'm going Forest 5-1. Oddly enough, and I did look at the numbers earlier to see what I was on, I think Corey has 5-2 for one of the last games. I'll, I'll check in on that next ah, time. But yeah, I think okay. he's gone a high scoring as well. But yeah, I think he always last day of the season. If not, neither team have got anything to play for, it doesn't matter what the managers say and who they pick, you, you're probably going to get a few more goals than usual. Well, I started this pod off by saying I am not Corey. Perhaps during the last hour I've morphed into Corey. <laughs> 
I mean, a 5-1 is obviously tongue-in-cheek, but I would love to see it. And I'd love to see Forrest finish on a high and take us into the playoffs with some real momentum. Two, two solid victories and the boys firing on all cylinders. Like you said, I fancy our chances against anybody. I mean, obviously Brentford are the team you probably least want to meet, particularly if they continue this current form. But uh, yeah, I think going into the playoffs off the back of a couple of wins would be uh, would be fun, fantastic momentum. And then we'll see where we go from there. And we'll cover that in the next pod. We will talk in a bit more detail about who we think is going to make up the four playoff contenders, what we think the outcomes of those games may be. Dan, Thank you so much, mate, for pitching in today and saving my bacon and giving us a show. I appreciate it. No worries. And uh, one more stat before I leave you. It's 1,001 days since Derby last beat Forest. Fantastic. So uh, have a drink on that stat. I know we kind of of went over this very quickly, but Lewis Graben, 20 goals. Yeah, congratulations. What is it? First one in since 2002-03? Johnson and Howard. Yeah, Yeah. and then prior to that, of course, Van Hoydonk and Campbell, uh, which is weird actually, because the last time a player scored 20 goals, their partner has scored 20 goals. Their, their attacking partner, not their, their wife or husband. Um, so, but this is, yeah, for, for, I mean, I think this is to your earlier point, Dan. Lewis Graben hitting those 20 goals and shouldering the bulk of the attacking responsibility for Nottingham Forest. You know, one might argue his task has been even harder than his predecessors. And he's done a great job. And were it not for him, we would certainly be in dire straits. So congratulations to Graben. Awesome achievement. Definitely. And I think it's the best uh, record he's had goals per game anywhere he's been from what oh. I saw. Um, and he's only, he's only hit 20 a couple of times. You kind of think he's so prolific that he does mm. it every year. But yeah, it's, um, it's a standout season for him. Definitely. It's not just run-of-the-mill stuff. Um, I am hoping, again, um, on the stats side, if Joe Lolly can get another three assists by the end of the season, which is a stretch, then um, we can we can give him a American award for getting the double double, <laughs> going into a double digits for both goals and assists, which I, I I'll look up for next time or I'll, I'll tweet you to uh, work out when the last when the last time a Forest player got double figures for assists and goals in the same season. I don't think you can count rebounds, can you? You can't do a triple double over uh, <laughs> in the UK, but. Um, yeah, that would that would be a good one, and I think that would show. Um, yeah, Lolly and Amiobi, kind of, uh, Lolly and uh, Graben doing the statistical stuff that's getting us through this season at the moment. Well, some Forest fans lovingly draw parallels between Lolly and Messi on Twitter, rather tongue in cheek. But I saw that Messi today hit the incredible statistic of scoring twenty goals and getting twenty assists in a single season too. So, yeah, separated at birth. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend, we'll wrap up this pod the way we always do. cheers mate see ya see ya soon hey this is shane malcolm and this is jordan schweitzer we're the creators of boot bags fashionable durable washable boot bags are the most convenient way to carry your cleats to and from training or games check us out at bootbags.us you're listening to the forest fancast podcast